Good afternoon and welcome to Blueprint for Efficiency, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. My name is Ben Butterworth and I will be your host for the afternoon's presentation titled, Connected in Context, Lighting on the Internet of Things. First, a quick word about our speaker series. The Yale Center for Business and the Environment is pleased to launch our fourth annual installment of Blueprint for Efficiency. This series of public webinars emphasizes the latest opportunities for energy efficiency. Each presentation is recorded and available through the Yale Center for Business and the Environment website. Be sure to check out our next webinar on March 26 at noon, when we will be begin our mini series on energy efficiency in California with Rory Cox from the California Public Utilities Commission and Christina Skierka of Energy Initiatives Incorporated. Today's webinar will explore the opportunities for improving outdoor lighting systems to maximize energy efficiency. You will learn about the recent works of Philips Lighting in advancing their adaptive lighting systems and how, these efforts will, and how these efforts will ultimately unlock the full potential of digital lighting to enhance livability, improve the economy, and save resources. Our speaker today from Philips Lighting is Niels Van Dunen. Niels has 17 years of international experience in Royal Philips Electronics and moved to the United States in 2008 after Philips Lighting acquisition of the Gen Light Group. Since April of 2011, Niels holds the position of Global Strategic Marketing Director, contributing to vision, mission, and strategy development for Philips Professional Outdoor Lighting. Focused on next generation digital LED lighting as a critical part of the Internet of Things, his objective is to identify business opportunities that contribute to sustainability, economic growth, and well-being. Lastly, we would like to remind our listeners that we welcome any questions you might have, and we will direct them to our speaker at the conclusion of the talk. You can type questions directly into the GoToMeeting chat window. A copy of the presentation will also be uploaded to our website shortly after today's talk. Please welcome Niels Van Dunen to Blueprint for Efficiency. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Uh, thank you, people, um, uh, on this uh, webinar uh, for the opportunity to participate here, um, a webinar that has the objective to identify and implement a meaningful and sustainable solutions for our ever-growing urban environment. Um, to contribute to this Blueprint for Efficiency session, I would like to share a dialogue uh, with you we recently initiated within the lighting and urban development community. Uh, we know that there is a tremendous uh, change going on in the lighting industry as a, as a consequence of the changing technology going from incandescent and discharge lamps to LED, uh, but where we often think that this is just a change of the light source, we now realize uh, that many more things are going to uh, be impacted by this change of technologies and the other changes around us. And this dialogue is driven by the emerging awareness that the current LED lighting solutions alone are probably not sufficient to meet the world's sustainability targets. Rapid and widespread changes in the world's human population, coupled with unprecedented levels of consumption, present profound challenges to human health and well-being and the natural environment, uh, as expressed a year ago by the Royal Society in England in their People and Planet uh, publication. And this is a very important uh, 
observation um, in the perspective of the fast urbanization that's going on. And I'll now focus on that specific application we see in our growing urban environment, that one of street lighting. And as said, we are right now in the midst of a revolutionary lighting technology transition. Um, and everybody heard about it, there's a tremendous focus on it and we will see a little bit later in this webinar why. Um, but what we see is um, an emerging application of digital lighting in our built environment. And here you see some of those examples of what LED lighting can do. Um, it all looks great, it's lighting that lasts, the, the, the lifetime of an LED fixture is very long, the maintenance is very low and it doesn't consume much energy as compared to the existing technology. Although if you look to these pictures they all have in common one thing that is interesting, it's the fact that you sometimes can do without the public lighting because there's simply nobody in the street. And right now understand that we're coming from a very primitive, simple way of applying lighting in our environment. It's based on rules and regulations that require lighting levels that are based on the worst case scenario. But with that, we believe that with this changing technology, lighting could contribute even much more than today to the desired level of urban health, well-being and ecological sustainability. Government, industry and science need to cooperate and focus efforts on the integration of lighting in the emerging smart city infrastructures. The open standard architecture for lighting hardware and software is a condition for true integration in these emerging ICT ecosystems. However, new policy frameworks and recommended practices for lighting are required to support and enable what we call interoperability, meaning having those lighting devices work together with other devices, other applications uh, in a seamless way, but also context-driven adaptability. That's a mouthful, but what we really mean to say is that now these light points are going to react on what happens around them. And network connectivity of those lighting installations will really unlock the full potential of what we call next generation digital lighting. And as such, it will enhance livability, but also improve economy, and most of, important of all, it will save resources of our cities today and in the future. And I'm going to show you a few mind-boggling numbers that speak for, for, for itself. And some of you will rec recognize them. But they are pretty important in this reflection. In 2050, 
The projections show us that close to 7 billion citizens are projected to live in cities. And this is as many as all people on the planet today. Between now and 2050, we will build, we will expand or renovate cities to accommodate an additional 1 million people every five days on average. Every five days, a city with the size of Boston. The fast growing middleweight cities in the world with under 10 million inhabitants, they contribute today most to our economic growth. Half of the world population living in cities today generates more than 80% of our GDP. Economic growth comes out of our cities. And no surprise, the relation between the energy use, the use of our resources, and carbon emissions is linear. So the consequence of this reality of accelerated urban growth is the urgent need for fundamental changes in the way we build, we operate and we maintain our cities. Current energy consumption trends indicate the need for breakthrough innovation and faster adoption of resource-saving policy, technology and behavior. It's pretty striking knowing that there are already so many initiatives going on to reduce the use of our resources, to reduce our energy footprint, that various resources, including the one of the DOE and the International Energy Agency's World Energy Outlook predict, however, a spectacular 40% growth of energy demand and consequently supply between now and 2030. So where we are extremely happy with some of the results of our sustainability initiatives, we see that specifically because of those emerging economies, the non OECD countries, we are actually facing a spectacular growth. But forward-thinking cities, and there is an increasing amount of those, are taking action. And looking at that today, we distinguish at least about 3,000 smart city projects and pilots uh, initiated around the world. And with the recent uh, governmental changes in China, these smart city projects have been nominated number one on their agenda. Ubiquitous wireless connectivity. Wireless connectivity into every corner all over of the city. The connectivity of different data collection systems like sensors, video cameras, GPS devices. The wireless connectivity of the, those systems is recognized 
as a core enabling condition for urban efficiencies improvements. In other words, we believe that connecting all these devices that we have in our cities today, connecting them and having them working together helps us to make our cities even more efficient. And what we see is that urban data traffic is increasing more than 30% per year as we speak as a consequence of a tremendous inroad of these interconnect, internet connected devices. This is also known as the internet of things. But thinking about it in a city, the practice today is that every application like traffic management, waste management, like communication, like smart metering, electrical vehicle charging or lighting, today all these systems are installed with their own dedicated network. Realizing that and realizing the complexity of that, the costs of it, local communities now seek to migrate as many services as possible to a singular and integrated ecosystem, one network, to maintain transparency and efficiency to, to be able to operate all these things together. And an interesting example is what we have seen in uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, where um, uh, two years ago, no, uh, three years ago, um, because of a, um, a natural disaster, the, the chaos was complete in the city, um, and they decided to create an urban operating system and one urban dashboard where the city could see all those things happening in the city uh, on one screen to enable them to coordinate uh, their services in a better way. New insights and use cases give evidence that public lighting will be one of the core applications and major priorities in these new urban ICT ecosystems. And according to Pike research that was published recently, shipments of these smart city lighting systems, uh, only about 200 worldwide this year, is projected to reach more than 11, 1200 systems in 2020. And shipments of lighting communication nodes in other words, let's say the clients, the little antennas that you will have on these, on these uh, lighting devices, they will rise from more than half a million this year to close to 5 million in 2020. Some more figures. Streetlights rank among the biggest fixed costs for cities. Accounting up to 40% of the city's electricity use, 40% of the city's electricity use, public street lighting offers tremendous leverage opportunities once they are integrated in citywide and open standard IP networks. About 500 million outdoor lighting luminaires 
are installed in the world today. And most of these devices do not meet the current energy consumption criteria. According to the Department of Energy, the estimated 26.5 million public streetlights in the United States alone consume as much energy each year as 1.9 million households and generate greenhouse gas emissions equal to that produced by 2.6 million cars. Most streetlights are not even metered or listed somewhere on the list of public inventory. This is one of the reasons, for example, that the city of Los Angeles recently decided to renovate most of its 210,000 streetlights, roughly about 150, what we call cobra heads, these road lights that you see on the top of a post, and another 60,000 more architectural, more de decorative streetlights, in total 210,000 streetlights. And they, those together were consuming close to 16 million in electricity per year. And they were just switching on at dusk and switching on at dawn. And ju that just often on the, the command of a very simple integrated photo cell. Changing all these outdoor lights to LEDs could prevent the emission of as much as 90 million metric tons of CO2. And keep in mind that today the average streetlight fixture in the US is more than 25 years old and many need replacement now. What's important to realize that when we replace a streetlight today, it is an investment for something that will be there for the coming 25 years. CO2 emissions rebound to a record high in 2012. And energy efficiency of global economy worsened for a second straight year according to a report of the International Energy Agency in 2012. And for that reason, we believe that switching to LED lighting alone may not be sufficient to meet the global resource saving and sustainability targets. We now realize that adaptive lighting, lighting that is based on what happens in the environment, and interactive lighting systems, systems that interact with cars, with people, are required to bring savings to a next level. LED lighting, as we see today, does achieve the expected 40 to 60% energy saving. However, enabling luminaires now to dynamically change the levels, the lighting levels in response to the local conditions. The total system savings can easily reach up to 80%. And I want to give a comment of the CLTC, the California Lighting Technology um, uh, Commission, and the 
and a professor at the, at, uh, the TC Davis, Mr. Mike uh, Siminowicz. I want to quote him with something he said recently, which is very interesting. Reducing the amount of wasted light during long periods of typical vacancy is one of the single largest opportunities for energy saving in this country. And the technology exists today for it to be easily integrated into the ongoing LED transformation. And as a matter of fact, Mike Siminovich said that installing a light, an LED light today, every single LED light that we install today that's not connected is a missed opportunity for the coming 25 years. Currently available lighting control systems that we see in the market today, they're often based on proprietary closed communication protocol meant only for those lighting systems. They're often complex to install, not easy to scale, and they're very expensive. Interestingly enough, today, less than 1% of all our road and street lights is part of a remotely monitored and controlled network. In other words, more than 99% of our light points are just standalone, pretty dumb systems. There is still a tremendous opportunity for progress here. And some early pilots that were done by some leading companies in the industry were vital to build the experience and to generate more insights with new forms of interoperability of these devices and what we call spatial intelligence. Systems that react on what happens in, sp in, this, in space around them. In 2009, Nivis and Cisco experimented with wireless, six low pan based mesh network uh, technologies for interconnected operations of public devices, such as street lights and parking meters. Several others, more recent examples, are equally promising, and we see some very interesting things going on right now. Just to name a few. The city of Chattanooga, Tennessee, had tremendous challenges to improve their environment. They recently launched an 18.5 million investment in a network of 27,000 public streetlights, all controlled through embedded wireless connected smart meters. These installations will ultimately save the city 2.7 million a year in energy and maintenance costs. Earlier this year, the San Francisco Public Utility Commission originated a pilot to validate their ideas for a citywide service delivery platform built on a wireless mesh network of more than 20,000 streetlights and numerous other non-lighting devices. And the story of the San Francisco Public Utility Commission is interesting because Barbara Hill, the director of the SFPUC, said, I was receiving an increasing amount of phone calls 
of my colleagues of other departments, waste management, the utilities, um, electrical vehicles charging, and they ask me every time, you have a network, a fantastic network, a beautiful network of real estate. It really looks like an antenna. Can I fix one of my antennas on your street lighting network? Because I'm going to work with remote monitoring and control and wireless devices. And she realized that this is part of the city's infrastructure, like their road and transit infrastructure. And you need to take these decisions independently of the actual application. And she said, although in the actual governance model of my city, nobody feels responsible today to provide a network, it's true that the city's lighting infrastructure is the ideal candidate to carry these networks. And we are rolling out a pilot right now, and as we speak, there are about there's about one block that's built on this uh, on this network. All these twenty thousand streetlights of San Francisco are going to be connected to one and the same common use and open standard IP network eventually. This should be fully compliant to the six low pan protocol, and this system is a multi-purpose open standard platform where all kinds of future services can be developed without the need to build additional networks. Another key benefit is the possibility to integrate nodes and other hardware components in the existing street lighting infrastructure. Another example in Europe, Efficity, which is a consortium of companies and research centers in Barcelona, Spain, are conducting a pioneering project using street lighting assets as communication nodes, very similar to what we have seen before. And these are all connected to a subset of smart sensors making luminaires and other devices autonomous in their context-driven adaptability. And you see in this picture what it, what it means. It's very interesting. If there's nothing happening in the street, you don't need light. These and many other smart city innovation programs have one critical challenge in common. Actual technology standards, recommended application practices, and legacy public governance models are far from being prepared to allow and enable horizontal interoperability of divergent city services. Because every application today has its own department and takes their decisions independently of what happens in the other department. Actual policy, legis legislation, and lighting recommendation are mostly based on yesterday's analog city infrastructure. They fall short to unlock, unlock the full potential of digital lighting. After a decade now, and we are already working on this LED transition for more than 10 years, a decade of emphasis on the technological transition from conventional lighting 
two LEDs, the lighting community, utilities and government now needs to shift focus beyond the traditional borders and remove remaining obstacles for full implementation of advanced lighting solution as a part of the Internet of Things in smart cities. Any dedicated research to the impact of adaptive and interoperable lighting application on user experience and perception is crucial because you can understand that if streetlight now starts to react on what happens around you, that we need to understand what that does with people and people's behavior and perception. And likewise, and related to that, the development and deployment of standards need to be implemented with priority. Today, there is a tremendous challenge in terms of liability and reliability of these systems. And you, and just to give you an idea, if somewhere an accident happens and light levels were low, you can imagine that there's a question on why the situation was at such. And we need to work on new standards and regulations that allow these technologies to be implemented. And important programs are yet introduced to provide new technology standards to enable interoperability of lighting controls. And for example, we recently initiated a foundation that, with the name TOLK, the TOLK Consortium, where we try to standardize the way lighting control systems work together to enable interoperability already on the lighting level. But there are also, also other meaningful initiatives, like the NTCIP, which is a standard that's focused on technologies and standards to regulate interaction of lighting with other verticals, and in this case, with transportation. And this facilitates the use of data generated by other network devices to optimize lighting levels. For example, vehicle-to-vehicle, and vehicle-to-infrastructure communication standards could control traffic management and roadway lighting in combination, improving safety while saving energy. Next to this digital lighting technology, new policy frameworks will enable and encourage interoperability within smart city operations. Next generation lighting applications open up a wide spectrum of opportunities to improve health and well-being in our cities today and in the future. Non-proprietary, fully interoperable and adaptive urban lighting systems will provide the required smart and meaningful LED lighting solutions. And while the LED transition is well, LED transition is well underway right now, advanced solutions for true incorporation in smart city infrastructures reveal. And this third generation IP connected digital lighting practice will ultimately optimize the contribution to a livable, sustainable and economically sound environment. And with that I thank you very much for um, being with, uh, with us today and I open um, this uh, webinar for, for questions and discussion. All right.
thanks, Nails. Um, our first question comes from Frank, and Frank wants to know what types of variables or factors are next generation LEDs currently programmed to respond to? And what types of variables or factors do you see them responding to in the future? Okay, that's a very, very good question because it also indicates that we have to get to that future uh, step by step. So f today what we see is that there is, there is um, a focus on a few value drivers that brought us to connected lighting systems. And specifically um, in, the, in the outdoor space, um, the first most simple variable that we use today is the environmental light level. And you see very often on, on more the functional road lights, the cobra heads as we call them in cities, you see a little photocell and those photocells they just react on, on the light levels uh, of the day. Um, you can imagine that these, these, these optical cells are not very reliable and if you sometimes see these street lights functioning it's because the photocell doesn't function anymore or it's just covered with dust. Um, that is step one. We saw um, already a long time ago the, the integration of these photocells. What you see right now is that um, movement detectors, presence detectors are making their inroad in outdoor lighting applications and interestingly enough there is a new Title 24 in California uh, that is uh, in phase of implementation right now where for certain lighting applications in the outdoor space a movement detector is an obligation. So you see these movement detectors, they are part of the fixture, they are on the, on the bottom side and if somebody is approaching this light point on a bicycle or walking, um, the light is switching on and the idea is that this will become mandatory. Now you can imagine that if this happens that you need to introduce all kinds of algorithms that make sure that these light points behave correctly. So if you are moving through a street for example, um, you, you want to have those light points that you leave behind you dimming down and those in front of you dimming up. So you need to, um, you need to develop those algorithms that uh, make the behavior of those light points reliable. In the future you want to uh, make the system more intelligence, more advanced and there are two levels, two levels of, of context here. Let's call one level the macro level, macro context and one the micro context. The micro context is the easiest. That's just what happens around the light point. Somebody is approaching, somebody is moving, there is somebody there, there's a car. At that point the light level goes up. The macro level is what happens in a city. For example there is an event going on or there is an accident somewhere that needs, to, uh, that needs rerouting of traffic flows. There is a f uh, there's, there's festivities, f festivities going on, all those kind of things that apply to bigger parts of a city. These, um, um, this behavior will be driven by sensor networks and we will leverage existing sensors that serve multiple purposes. For example, we already use traffic 
cameras. So these are video cameras used to monitor and manage traffic flows and then can, they can also be used to manage light levels. Okay, thanks a lot for that answer. Um, our next question comes from Joe. Uh, if LED lighting systems can turn themselves off when there is no need for them, how does that increase savings? How does that change the payback period of the investment in switching to these lighting systems? And do organizations implementing these systems see faster returns on investment? Yeah, that's a very good question, Joe. Thank you. Um, obviously, if a light point is switched off, it doesn't consume energy. Um, there's a very low level of energy or no, no energy at all that you need to have uh, that light point that's not functioning. So what is interesting, um, as I said before, um, uh, as, a, as an observation of uh, Professor Mike uh, uh, Siminovich of the CLTC and the UC Davis, is that lights are switched on today very often without the need of those light levels. We know right now that switching to LED lighting alone um, gives you an energy saving of 40 to 60 percent. But if you now introduce more smarter uh, lighting systems, light systems that dim down when you don't need it, you can increase savings up to 80 percent. Now, in terms of return on investment, this depends a lot on your energy price. And we know, for example, in some parts of the world, energy is extremely cheap. Uh, so there the incentive on the energy, on the electricity costs are probably lower. Um, but we also know regions where energy costs are tremendously high. And there, obviously, the return on investment is great. Now, what we need to know is that the use of resources is going to be a global issue. So you cannot anymore take the decision on the basis of your energy cost locally. You really have to put this in a global perspective, and that's why we have these annual um, um, uh, meetings where we decide on our objectives to reduce carbon footprints, etc. Our estimation is that you can bring your savings up to 80-85% if you make them interactive. Okay, thanks a lot. Um, the next question comes from Pablo. Um, what are your views in terms of cost, efficiency, opportunities on Hawaii's public lighting system, which is designed to reduce light pollution? Is the question about Hawaii? Yeah, uh, Hawaii. Specifically, they have a program uh, um, designed to reduce light pollution. Yeah, okay. Well, again, here um, um, it's, it's a very important point because what we introduce here is not much, let's say, the CO2 uh, issue, but now we talk about light pollution. And this is a very valid point. Um, in many cities, we are disconnected from the sky. We don't see the stars anymore. We, we, are, we, we don't see the natural cycle. It's a 24 hours per 24 hours economy. And, and we realize now that that has consequences. And there is a tremendous 
awareness about the need to manage the way we light our, let's say, public space. And we have also in the United States, we have the Dark Sky Association, and there are a couple of things. It's about how much light do we get on our street and on, on our square, as opposed to the amount of light that goes useless into the sky. Um, we, we had and we still have lighting applications and street lights where, you know, these are just like lollipops, round sticks, and there's as much light going up as go, going down. And this is not always desirable. Um, we also uh, have pollution in terms of using the wrong light colors. Um, having very white light or very orange light that has nothing to do with the natural conditions. Now, the moment we introduce smarter systems, there are a couple of things. So first of all, you do need improved optics. So this is a very simple thing. Make sure that the light you produce in your device gets there where you need it and nowhere else. And the advantage of LED lighting is that it allows you to make better optical systems. But that's, let's say, the more optical part of the problem of light pollution. The second thing is light color and the amount of light that we waste. And if you look to satellite pictures of the planet, you sometimes see um, very uncomfortable situations in places on Earth where so much light is going straight into the sky and it's a waste of energy, but it's also touching our natural environment. The moment we introduce smarter lighting systems, we have the option of doing two things. We can dim down light when we don't need it, or even switch it off when we don't need it. We can also, in future systems, think about changing light colors. And here is an interesting phenomenon. We know that our natural time cycle is based on the sun coming up and going down every day, and that gives us a feeling of where we are in time. Light in the evening has much more a red component than in the morning. So we know that when the sun goes down, it starts to become more reddish. When the light, when the sunlight is very high in the sky, it's a very bluish white light. Now, interesting enough, one of the parts of, of our improvement of light and uh, um, um, artificial light in, 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 in public space is that more and more we want light with exactly the same color as the light color of the moon to create a more natural environment. With smarter lighting systems and with future uh, combinations of um, LEDs of different light colors, we can now control the color of light and make it a more natural cycle. So it's a very good point. We are focusing a lot very often on the energy component of smarter lighting uh, 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 technologies, but, but the protection of the environment in terms of limiting the amount of light and improving, let's say, the skyscape is a very important factor as well. Thank you very much for asking that question. Okay, our next question comes from Sandra. Um, she met, you mentioned that the annual savings in the Chattanooga project, do you know the specific return on investment or payback period for that project? 
I don't have that on the top of my head, but if you uh, realize that they save 2.7 million per year in energy and maintenance cost, they invested 18.5 million. So imagine that these savings are approximately 50% of what they used to pay. You can calculate easily that three years later this is paid back. Okay, our next question comes from You know, Jennifer. for example, well, oh, sorry. okay, just to, to, to add, well, just to add to that, um, um, the figures of LA, which, which is probably today the biggest uh, uh, conversion going on uh, uh, on the planet, LA changing um, uh, a total of 210,000 light points, um, they realized um, a payback that is now around the two years because of the, 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 the ever-reducing prices of these LED fixtures. Okay. Okay, yeah, the next question uh, from Jennifer. Uh, what do you see as the biggest obstacles to installing smart energy systems, like lighting systems in cities? You mentioned the LED transition is well underway right now. What are some of the factors that have facilitated it? I think this is probably one of the most critical things we face today. I think it's a very good question and I realize that um, it's not anymore the technology. I think we are capable of providing all technology, all technological platforms to implement what we have discussed today. The biggest challenge, however, is our governance model that we have today. The biggest challenge is the way we build and operate our systems in cities today, the way we build and operate our cities today. I'll give you a few examples. One is that, is that for example, cities have streetlights provided by utilities, so they are owned and operated by utilities that send a bill, a monthly bill to cities that's based on the maintenance cost and the energy cost. And it's their revenue stream. So if you introduce something that saves energy, you're driving their revenues down. And some utilities do not see an incentive to, 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 to make the conversion to energy saving technologies. And many cities, they have no idea how many streetlights they actually have. It's just based on an estimations. There are no inventor, inventory lists or whatsoever. There are streetlights that are installed during the last 50, uh, 40 years. Most of them are more than 20, 25 years old. They have no idea. They just pay a flat fee every month to the utility. And for that reason, municipalities that need to reduce their energy uh, consumption are now taking ownership back of these light points. Now this is just an example and it's not, it's, it's, it's not always the case because there are very forward-thinking utilities, private utilities, they understand the need to improve their systems and reduce energy and sometimes it's also a an, an, an investment decision because 
if you reach a certain point of energy use, electricity use, you need to build new plants. And new power plants are very, very expensive and in some states it's not even allowed to do so. So you need, they need to go to energy saving. Now, what is the biggest obstacle? The biggest obstacle that there's no incentive in the actual governance models that we have uh, to go to smarter solutions. Smart city applications, they, 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 they suffer from this situation. And where we had a period of extreme excitement about smart city technologies and applications, we realize today that it's easier said than done. Why? Because the different departments that are driving these applications, and we have one road lighting department, we have one traffic department, we have one security department, they want to build their own system in their own bunker, and they have their own value drivers. And they do not have an incentive or a policy or an objective that invites or even forces them to work together. Now this is recognized, this issue. And what is interesting is, for example, what you see now happening in some American cities where they appoint a chief innovation officer or a chief um, um, information officer, where they look to the way we operate our cities from a higher level, a little bit comparable to how we look to bigger companies and corporations where we say we need an ICT system that's part of the city's infrastructure, the city has the responsibility to do it, and we said that we have a set of rules and regulations that allow the use of these networks, but also um, helps to realize interoperability. And for example, in one of my visits to China recently, I found out that many bigger cities, and those cities are growing very, very fast, they have somebody responsible for the Internet of Things and cities like Shanghai, they have their dedicated department for the Internet of Things. And those departments, they will be responsible for the creation of those multi multiple application infrastructures and ecosystems. That's why I believe that a big part of the innovation that we need to deploy these smarter solutions is not a question of technology, it's a question of policy frameworks and governance models. Thank you for that very good question. Okay, thanks Niels. Uh, the next question is from Bonnie. Um, how does Philips envision the scaling up of adaptive and next generation lighting systems? For example, with starting on a small scale such as universities, planned residential neighborhoods, and showing the success of these systems, help in the effort to scale up to an integrated city level? Absolutely. I think that um, um, there is only one way uh, to get where we want to, uh, to be, and that's, that's step by step. Um, there are a couple of attempts to build a complete ecosystem um, and then deploy it. And, on, and it turns out to be a paper exercise because we are not ready for it, we don't, we, we, we have no idea what the impact is and what, what's critical today, both in terms of the, the technology side of these new, of these, these innovations, but also the performance aspects, the behavioral aspects. It's critical now that we 
just start doing things and finding out how it really works. That's why I believe that there are two things. Pilots are extremely important. Smaller, isolated areas where we can start building things, experimenting, and find out how to improve it and make it better and grow, let's say, the ecosystem. So, for example, right now in San Francisco, uh, we have about 15, 16 streetlights connected to a network um, that also connects smart meters and electrical vehicle charging and, um, and traffic lights and park meters. And it's an isolated area and we, can, we, we find out all kinds of things and we make our system better and we reach a point where we say, now we are ready for it, let's roll it out on a broader scale. Um, these pilots also tell us where we need standardization, where are the handshakes, what to do with reliability, and, and all these kind of things, the only way to discover what's really needed is to start small. And so, for example, the, the, the UC Davis, on their campus, they, have, uh, they are rolling out an interesting network of lighting devices with sensors that um, uh, detect uh, activity. Um, we are working on a couple of uh, pilot sites in Barcelona, in Amsterdam, both functional lighting but also architectural lighting where let's say the presence of people uh, influences uh, the, 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 the lighting performance more in a amenity kind of way and it helps us to understand how people perceive it, how they react and that helps us to improve these systems. I think it is an, a question of evolution step by step and very critical that Public authorities work together with us, allow us to do these things. It's a responsibility for government, for universities, for the industry, the manufacturers, all working together in working towards these new ecosystems. All right, thanks, Niels. Uh, our last question comes from Jeff. Um, there are many efficiency opportunities in cities in the developing world that have not been seized. What can be done to get these energy management systems and LED technologies to markets in the developing world? So, it's very interesting to see that only 1% or even less of the available technology, technology is actually used. I believe that one of the reasons that the technology that's available is not a big success today is because these systems are closed. They're closed, proprietary, they don't allow interoperability. And that's not how a city works. I was speaking to the director of the road lighting department in Los Angeles, the man who is responsible for this tremendous transition, and he told me that he probably has a few different types of what he called Cobra heads, these street lights above, above the road, roads that you have in the city. And it's already a challenge to have these different street lights from different manufacturers working together. So you have a control system for manufacturer A that only works with the luminaires, the lighting fixtures of manufacturer A, but he has A, B and C. So how does he pull that together? 
So if that's not enough, he then told me that for his decorative, his more architectural post-op lights that he has in his city, he has 400 different models. And these 400 different models, they all need to be part of one single network. So the only way to get there is that you achieve a high level of standardization. And that's why initiatives like the TALK Consortium, T-A-L-Q, T-A-L-Q Consortium are so important because they create those standards. Um, and that's why we believe that at the end it should all be internet-based, IP-enabled, because that today is the biggest ecosystem we have right now that allows to have multiple kinds of applications and devices, all from a different nature and manufacturer, all connected and communicating through the same network. And that's exactly what we should do right now. We should, we should develop standards, stay away from proprietary systems, and, and, and work towards optimized interoperability and open standards. Okay, that concludes the talk today on Philips Lighting. Uh, we would like to thank Niels for joining us this afternoon. This talk will be made available to the Yale Center for Business and the Environment website. All Blueprint for Efficiency links are under the Outreach tab. Our webinar series will continue on March 26 at noon when we begin our mini-series on energy efficiency in California with Rory Cox from the California Public Utilities Commission and Christina Skierka of Energy Initiatives Incorporated. We thank you all for joining us for Blueprint for Efficiency. This is Ben Butterworth from the Yale Center for Business and the Environment saying so long from New Haven, Connecticut.